This is like one of those Lord of the Rings kind of series, huh? So, so, so you want to be here uh, starting next week. I promise you uh, these guys are going to inspire us. I'm really looking forward to every single one of the speakers. They're some of my favorite speakers. Uh, next week, we're going to actually have uh, somebody that many of you love. Uh, his name is Prashant Deviza. He's actually going to be a speaker next Sunday. Uh, those of you who know Prashant are really excited right now. Those who don't, you should be, uh, because he's really one of the most inspiring uh, and passionate for God uh, leaders that I know. Not, not church leaders, leaders of all, uh, just all all-around leaders. And we're going to have people like Pastor Esther Basike uh, sharing uh, the word as well through this month. Actually, I shouldn't even tell you. I should just let it be a surprise. Huh? Yeah, okay, sure. Okay, no more. Don't tell anybody what you heard. Just tell them to come and to fund the flame. Well, I want to just uh, give a very special welcome to every one of you. My name is Pastor Marevi. I'm the senior pastor of Mavuno. And it's such a joy uh, to be here on this great Sunday. Let me say a couple of things. Uh, you got that little slip about uh, Fearless Summit, and it's just it, the, the, the labs it has. We call them labs. They're really workshops. That The titles you see there, those are just some of the topics that different people are going to be speaking on. And uh, this is just a sampling, because there's, there's going to be a whole bunch more. Every week, we're going to, every day, we're going to have different workshops. And I, the one I really thought was interesting is, it's not even here. Uh, and I think it's one that many of you would want to know about. It's called leading your boss. Anybody ready to lead your boss? All right. Now you need to be here and to learn about how to do that. If your boss is behind you, don't put up your hand, but you know you need to be leading them. And so be here. Uh, we're going to have some extremely great kingdom leaders uh, sharing different workshops uh, on different sectors, different areas uh, that will be of interest to you. And you have a choice, uh, a real choice of places you can go in and learn. And like, like uh, the, the MC said, we're going to actually have speakers from across the world uh, who are going to be sharing what God is doing in different parts of the world. So look forward to seeing many of you here. Uh, also, just to mention, our audited accounts are online. They've taken a little longer than they normally do. But every year, we put up our audited accounts when our auditors are done. Uh, Deloitte, who is our, our auditor, finally signed off on our audits. So it was a bit of a delay. But now they are up. And so you can actually go up on our website. And you can even download them if you want to. If you're one of those people who wants to go through every line item, you're very welcome to do that. Uh, so feel free to do that. You can, uh, uh, and why we do that is because we want to have a, a huge measure of... Uh, transparency about how resources are used at Mavuno Church. Uh, we really believe that that honors God more than anything else and that we need to be a model as a church for how even business should be conducted. And so please go up and check those out and I pray that there'll be, uh, if you have any questions, feel free to contact us as a church. You can write to us at info, info, not info, info at mavunochurch.org and if you have any questions, we'll be glad to get back to you and to clarify anything there. Now, I have a question for you and I want to ask you this. What is one thing what is one thing that could get you jumping up and down in unrestrained joy? You guys don't look like you get it. So just, there's a little clip that I want to explain what I mean with. Check this out. Coming! Beautiful new bedroom furniture also from our friends at Walter E. Smith Furniture. Can you believe that? No! No, you cannot. But wait, I'm, I, this is the ultimate. I'm going to let you in on a li little secret. There's a problem. I thought there was a problem because when I saw all of those toys, I said, there is no way that all that, those toys and all of that new furniture is going to fit into your tiny apartment. My dream team and I, listen to this. My dream team and I have spent every waking moment since we left you trying to figure this out. So I think we've come up with the answer to your prayers. This is what I think we're gonna do. We are buying you a house. Okay, so that's you. That's you jumping up and down, unrestrained joy, excited, so passionate that you don't care what people think. What would make you do that right now? Okay, share that with your neighbor. What's one thing that would make you be jumping up and down, not caring what anybody thinks? Introduce yourself to your neighbor if you don't know them. Just share with them what that one thing is. Jumping up and down, excited, passionate, like you never have been before. Someone's already shouting up and down, jumping up and down. <laughs> wow. This is awesome. Now, let's begin with the really spiritual ones. Uh, how many of you said, if I knew Jesus was coming back today, 
What? No one. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. You guys. All right. You. Okay. Let's go to other stuff then. All right. Okay. And if you if you feel this one, if this one you feel, I got a few from friends here. If you feel this one, just say a hearty, loud sh shout or amen or something. All right. Getting a satisfying job with double the take home of what I'm earning right now. All right. A few people here would like a job like that. Uh, okay. Okay. This one's a serious one, so let's not laugh on this one. Okay. Finding a spouse this year. Okay, they're there. There are people. By the way, may the Lord hear your prayer right now in the name of Jesus as you have shouted in the house of God. <laughs> All right. Moving into my own home debt free. Oh, wow. <laughs> what? Okay, God, you need to do something on behalf of your children in this church. Some people are tired of paying rent. Okay, hitting my targets at work this year. Okay, a few of you. A few of you. Like, what's, what's targets? I want a house. Who cares about targets, you know? All right. Uh, healing of an illness of somebody, myself or somebody else, I know. All right. Quite a few amens to that one. I can see quite a few people here trusting God for that. Uh, landing a scholarship at a prestigious university of my dreams. Wow. Praise God. Okay. Okay. This one, I don't know how to tra translate. If you're sitting next to an Kenyan, you have to translate for them. Tetemsha 10 million. <laughs> what? Okay, okay. Tell your neighbor what that means, please, because they, they, they are wondering, what are these crazy Kenyans screaming about? What is, that, what, what is who? To, who? Okay. All right. Now, what does jumping up and down in unrestrained joy have to do with courage? That's what we're going to be talking about today. So, so fasten your seatbelts. Uh, this is going to be uh, something that will be a blessing to you. Now, let me say this. Uh, for our visitors, we've been going through a series called Unafraid. And we're learning five qualities of true courage from one of the most courageous men in the Bible, David or King David. We've learned several things about courage so far. This is actually the last episode of this series. Uh, we learned that true courage is aligned to what God wants. True courage is enduring in times of difficulty. True courage is, is connected to other courageous people around you. And true courage is humble even in the light of success. And today we want to go into the last quality of true courage. I want you to ask you to turn in your Bibles to one last story, 2 Samuel. By the way, I'm a little sad to be getting to the end of these, uh, this series. You could preach through the life of David the whole year, and you'd never run out of great stories. So 2 Samuel chapter 24, uh, verse 18 to 25 is what we're going to read today, our final story. And as you turn there, 2 Samuel 24, verse 18 to 25, let me bring you up to speed with our story so far. This is the last... Uh, this is the last story about David, basically. Second uh, Samuel, book of Second Samuel, the end of his life. This is his last recollection. David is thinking back about his life, what it's meant. And this is the last recorded memory of King David. So if, you, if he's thinking about this stuff on his deathbed, you know that this was a, a very significant time in his life. He's thinking about one of the most significant events that transpired while he was alive. This probably took place several years after the incident with Bathsheba that we read about and we discussed last week. And David had made, had made a peace with God, had gone on to conquer all the lands that were surrounding Israel. Any enemies that were left were snuffed out. And at the top of his game, uh, really at the top of his success, this is what happened next. David decided to take a census of all the fighting men in Israel and it angered God greatly. Now, there was nothing wrong with taking a census because... People had been counted in the Bible uh, ever since the Bible was written. There's even a whole book of the Bible about counting people. What is it called? Numbers. So, I mean, it wasn't a sin to count people. But uh, different uh, Bible scholars tell us that it was probably one or two things that caused God to be so angry. Number one, it could have been that David at the top of his power, when God had taken him all the way to the top, began to become anxious about, uh, about his position. And now he was trying to consolidate his power. He was forgetting where, that it was God who had brought him this far. And he was putting misplaced trust on his armed forces. And perhaps that is what made God really angry. And he said, God, have you forgotten who brought you here? The other reason might be because there was a prescribed way that you counted people in the Bible. It wasn't just done the way you wanted to do it. Exodus chapter 30 verse 11 to 16 tells us that when you counted people, there was a, 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 not only a prescribed way to do it, but you're supposed to pay an, what, what was called an atonement tax to God. Uh, there was a reason why God wanted it done a specific way, but David didn't do it that way. He did it the way he wanted to do it, a way that was uh, not, not what God had wanted him to do it. Now, 
you know, I have no idea exactly why God was angry. But the interesting thing when you read the story is that David knew it was something that God didn't want. In fact, he was warned about it by Job, the, 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 the commander-in-chief of the armed forces. told him, you can't do this. We can't do this census. David went ahead and did it anyway. And then at that point, uh, David was remorseful. He realized he had done wrong. He asked God for forgiveness, and God forgave him. But God in his, uh, basically had released a plague that decimated the armed forces. The same people that David was counting, uh, thousands of them were killed by this illness. And, God dis- and when David called out and said to God, God, you have to help us, then God sent a prophet to give David the way, to go, the, the way forward. So this is what we're reading from verse 11. Oh, we're going to read, sorry, from, from verse 18 to 25. 2 Samuel 24, 18 to 25. This is what it says. On that day, God went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar of the Lord on the threshing floor of Arauna, the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord had commanded through God. When Arauna looked and saw the king and his officials coming towards him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Arauna said, Why has my lord the king come to, buy his, uh, come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Arauna said to David, let, the, let my lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering. Here are the threshing sledges and oak, ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Arauna gives all this to the king. Arauna also said to him, may the Lord your God accept you. But the king replied to Arauna, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David built an altar to the Lord and there sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered his prayer on behalf of the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, beautiful morning. Thank you that we can come in thanksgiving as we sung earlier today. Uh, Lord, if we had 10,000 tongues, it would not be enough to tell you how thankful we are to you for everything you've been and given to us. Thank you for the privilege that we can come uh, as a congregation to, to listen to your word, to be fed by your word and instructed. We ask that this word would nourish us today. It would change us dramatically, cause us to be more like Jesus. Lord, we recognize there are many obstacles to us hearing this word, many distractions. And so right now I speak over every distraction, every storm that is raging in your people's lives. I say, peace be still. And I speak that, Lord, that your power and your peace would flood into every situation. Every bondage would be held back. Every attack of the evil and every destruction and that, Lord, instead, there will be open heavens, and you will instruct us, every one of us, and bring glory to yourself. Father, I pray that I would not be an obstacle to your speaking to your people, that, Lord, it would not be me they see, but they would see you and give you glory. We love you and we thank you. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray, and God's people say it. Amen. Now, I guess it's clear, as we read this story and as you compare it with last week's story, that David, one of the most courageous men in the Bible, a person who is so highly spoken of, that David was no angel. David had serious issues in his life. David is a man who sinned greatly. In fact, the interesting thing, truth be told, is that David's sins actually were worse than King Saul's. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, Saul never committed adultery with anybody's wife. Saul never killed anyone to, com- to cover up his adultery. Saul never put his soldiers on the line and and got their lives taken just to cover up a murder he was planning. I mean, these were horrible crimes. So somehow David, this man, I mean, he was was a man with serious issues. Now, the interesting thing is, and the question I ask is, how come, despite his issues, despite the fact that this man, I mean, God had forgiven him about Bathsheba, he goes on and commits another sin. Despite all his issues, Why is it that David is so highly spoken of in Scripture? Why is it that David is held up in Scripture so much? Why is it that people are compared to David? If you notice, David is like the marking scheme for all the kings of Judah. If you read through the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles, you're going to find that whenever there's a king of Judah discussed, they will compare him with David. And they'll say, if he did well, they'll say he did well like David. If he did badly, they say he was not like David. Which, are, which meant he didn't do well. So, so, so how is that? That this guy can actually be called, a person can be held up as a marking scheme in the scripture. 
In fact, First uh, Kings 11 verse 4 is a great example. His successor Solomon. It says, his heart, Solomon's heart, was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. How is that? And you know, the interesting thing is the scripture continues to tell us this, that David, this man, he fulfilled his God-given purpose. And he had the joy. He, he lived out. You know, when you live a life of purpose, you live a life of, you, a, a life of fulfillment. You achieve everything you're created for. David was that man. The book of Acts, uh, New Testament, verse 13, chapter 13, verse 36 says, David, after he had served God's purpose in his own generation, he rested. He died. He did it first. He actually lived out a life of fulfillment. So in a sense, I believe David gives us hope. That if a man like David can actually fulfill and achieve his God-given purpose and fulfillment in that, then none of us is ineligible. You know, last week I spoke with some, a few people after the service. We spoke about the consequence of sin. We say God forgives sin, but sin has consequence. And I remember one particular guy said to me, Pastor M, you don't understand my life, the kind of things I've done. He said, the consequences are there with me. I was hoping that one day the consequences would just be lifted off. Are you saying there's no hope for someone like me? And I want to say something. If there was hope for this murderer and adulterer, there's hope for you. There's hope for every single one of us. David is a great guy to show us that God can use any one of us. The one thing, there's something though, there's a secret in David's life. This is the thing that we're going to talk about today. There was a secret that made David such a man that God could use him. Such a man that God held him up despite his flaws. This is a secret that will change your life. Are you ready to hear it? I don't think you're ready. So let me tell you a bit more. You need to understand, some of you have come from far. You have compared yourself with some spiritual people in this church and you don't come close. You have wondered how God will ever accept a person like you. You have even wondered, I mean, do I have to contort myself? I don't have what it takes. I'm trying to tell you today that there's hope for you and what you're about to learn could break you out of that situation. Are you ready to hear it? Okay, I don't think you're ready to hear it yet. So let me talk to this guys. Listen, listen, listen. What we're saying is, it's not about talent. It's not about how strong you are. It's not about how spiritual you are. That God can accept you, even if you're the least person in this church. There's somebody here who God can hold up as the marking scheme for all Christians in your generation. And today what we learn could actually make you that person. It doesn't matter whether you've slept in bars or, you know, it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter whether you're related to pastors and you're the least, in your, you're the black sheep. What you're about to learn today will make you. You know what? When God talks about the pastors and the bishops of this city, he will say, they are not like this person. This is what we're about to talk about. Are you ready now to hear this? Okay, I think somebody's ready to hear it. So let me tell you what the secret is. The one thing that distinguished David, the one thing that set him apart from almost anybody else that we read about, is that David was fully sold out to God. David was a man of passion. And this is what I want to actually talk about today because passion is one of those things you don't have to have been a Christian for a long time to be able to achieve passion. So we're going to talk about passion. And here's the thing, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I want to talk about today. True courage is fueled by passion. Passion is a fuel for true courage. That's what we want to talk about. This is our fifth lesson. We see passion in at least two places in this story. So let's talk about passion. The first place we see it is unconditional repentance. I love that about David. You know, David, it's true he failed. In fact, it's true his life blew up big time. David was the kind of guy when he did things well, he did them well. When he blew up, <laughs> he blew up seriously. I mean, he didn't do things in half measures. David blew up and when he sinned, people were hurt by his sin. Last time we read about him sinning and husbands were killed, wives were destroyed, children died. I mean, this is the kind of guy David was. I mean, he did things big time. But the interesting thing is that each time David sinned, and when he realized the extent of his sin, that David never held back. That David uh, clung to God, confessed his sin, asked for forgiveness. If you read the, uh, a little earlier in this passage, in verse 10 of this same chapter, chapter 24, when David had carried out that census, he went ahead willfully and did it. But verse 10 tells us, David was conscience-stricken. After he had counted the fighting men, and he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, O Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. 
I have done a very foolish thing. This is the king of Israel speaking. This is a leader who is respected by everybody. But he's saying, I'm foolish. How stupid of I to do this, God? Forgive me for what I did. Instead of being in denial, instead of minimizing his sin, instead of trying to do image management, perception management, I, I, I need to make sure people think differently about me. David clings to God for forgiveness. Same thing happens when he's confronted about his sin with Bathsheba. 2 Samuel 12, 13, when the prophet Nathan comes and tells him, you're the man, you're the one who's done this. David says, I've sinned greatly against God. You know, many kings, when they were told about what they had done, what they had sinned, they imprisoned the prophets. David actually tells the prophet, I'm a sinner. I'm the man. I've sinned against God. And then David goes on to cry out to God. The Bible tells us David fasted. And he, he tore his clothes. And he just hung out before God. And he said, God, forgive me. He clung to God with everything he had. He wrote, he wrote in his journal. He never even tried to hide it. He made it public. He wrote it in his journal. And we know his journal because much of it is in the book of Psalms. And Psalm 51. I love that Psalm. It shows the brokenness of this man. A man who was ready to take full responsibility for his sin. He says, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. He says, I know what I've done, and I know it's wrong. It's you I've sinned against. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. Don't reject me from your presence. Please return me to the joy that I had with you before. You know, last week we learned that pride can rob you. It can rob you of courage. It can, it, it can, it can cause you to, to move away from where God wants you to be. But David did not let his pride come in the way of him clinging to God. Not letting God, God go until God had forgiven him. This is a huge difference, by the way, between David and Saul. David and Solomon. David and all these other people who are compared with him. That whenever David sinned, and he understood his sin, it was unconditional repentance. You see, God isn't looking for perfect people. But God is attracted by passionate followers. And it's just something that God seems to just notice. People who have passion for him. He just sees it. He notices it. Passion is what uh, refuses to let go of God. Passion is what says to God, God, I know I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to be in this place of prayer, but Lord, I'm coming anyway. Passion is what says, Lord, I will cling to you. I know you will forgive me. Lord, you cannot but leave, you cannot leave me behind. Passion is what J Jacob did when he clung onto God and says, I will not let you go until you bless me. This is what passion is. And I see it in David's life. Without this kind of passion, our faith becomes cold. And our ability to live courageously will fail. You see, true courage is fueled by passion. Second place we see his passion for God is unreserved worship. Unreserved worship. Now, God directed David through the prophet God. Now, I want you to just take a little pause there and say there's a difference between those two names. God Directed David through God. Alright? Because some of you have heard you pray and you'd almost think you're praying to a dead prophet. God, come through for me. God doesn't come through for anyone. God is dead. God is alive. So just, just okay, sorry. I, I don't want to preach about that. That's not my topic. But I just want to say God doesn't live. He died. But God is alive. So God sends God. Are we together? And then God comes and confronts David. And he builds an altar. David builds an altar. Uh, he tells him, build an altar so he could pray for mercy for his people. So David goes to, uh, to Arauna, the Jebusite, to buy the field that God has directed. Now, you need to understand something about the Jebusites. The Jebusites were the original inhabitants of the city of Jerusalem. When David became king, one of the things he did, he led a, a, political a, a military campaign to capture this very, very fortified city. And they took it with his mighty men. And as, as a result of that victory, that city had always been called the city of David. David had rights to it. It was his capital, his political capital. It was where he based everything in. This is where the, 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 the ark of God had been brought to. And the land in Jerusalem really belonged. I mean, he had rights over it. But the person he's been sent to is one of the original inhabitants of the land. His name is Arauna. Now, I want you to note this. Note it carefully. That David had every right to take that land. Nobody would have questioned the king, who is the city is named after, who has taken it in a military fashion, going to one of the people he's allowed to kind of squat on his land and saying, I need my land back because it has bigger uses. In fact, Arauna sees him coming and says, take it, it's yours. But notice what David says, a very, very famous st st statement. 
He says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. David decides he's going to pay full market price for what he could have taken. Why? Because he wants to show God that he's passionate about him. And the Bible tells us he pays 50 shekels of silver. If you read the parallel passage, 1 Chronicles 21, 18, it tells us he pays 600 shekels for the land surrounding that threshing floor. 600 shekels of gold was a huge amount in those days. I've actually walked on that ground. I need to tell you this. How will you know if I don't tell you? I've actually walked on that ground that David paid the money for. You know why? Because that site is actually the site of the temple that Solomon built. It's the most holy uh, religious uh, shrine in the world today. It's the holiest site for Muslims, for Jews, and for Christians alike. It's a place that is known as the Dome of the Rock today. The thing that's interesting that you want to note is David paid for Jerusalem's temple, for Israel's temple, with his own money. This is the kind of person that David was. You see, passion for God is more than just a feeling. Passion means that you're willing to pay the cost. David loved God so much, he didn't want to give something that was of no value to him. He knew he could have taken it and just given it, but he didn't want to give something that had no ouch value to him, something that did not cost him. He didn't want to let other people carry the burden of sacrifice while he carried out the motions. David knew that if his gift had cost him nothing, it was not worth giving at all. And this is, this is the kind of man David is. By the way, you see it through his whole life. When David brought the ark to Jerusalem, there was a big worship service. And of course, what most kings would do at that point is let the priests go and dance and please God and then come and do your ceremonial thing. What does David do? David leads them. He dances in front of them. He dances so in so undignified a fashion, his clothes are pretty much falling off. His guys are telling him, dude, man, I mean, contain yourself. David's like, let me dance. And he dances. And finally, at the end of the day, he goes home. And his posh wife, because you know he married a royal woman. And so he's married this rich woman. And she, she, she comes and tells him, David, man, I mean, I need to break it down. This is not how we do it. Now you're the king. Let me help you because I'm the daughter of, the ki of a king. I need to help you understand how royalty conducts itself. What does David tell her? David says, I need to tell you, God, who made me king instead of your father, <laughs> he's the one I'm worshipping. And David says, I will become even more undignified than this. If you thought that was bad, watch this space. That's who David was. David was passionate for God. David is the one who made that remarkable statement in Scripture. In 2 Samuel 7.3, he says, how can I live in a palace while God's ark remain, remains in a tent? I mean, this was David. He's like, I'm living in a house. Guys are worshipping in a tent. How? And he's the one who, by the way, when David, you know, God tells David, uh, you know, I don't want you to build a temple for me. Why? Because you've got issues, man. Uh, I know you've come from far, but let's let your son do it. Clean break. You know what David does? David collects money. First of all, he buys this land. And then secondly, he collects all the money. He brings gold. He brings wood. He makes the plans. He even sketches the drawings for himself. Then he tells his son, you know, God told me I can't build this, so you build it. <laughs> you know, most of you, if God told you, uh, you know what, I actually don't want you to give towards Mavuno. Uh, I really prefer you use that for yourself. You'll be like, hallelujah! I can buy myself a... You know, it's, it's huge! <laughs> David says, why? Why can't I build it? Okay, if you won't let me build it, I'll give towards it. This is the kind of man. In fact, Jesus quoted David once. He said in Psalm, Psalm 69 verse 9, David had said these words and Jesus quoted them. He says, zeal for your house consumes me. I mean, this is David. He was so zealous for God and for the things of God. And <laughs> the thing about David, his, the Psalms are just his prayers of passion. I love David. When he prays to ask God for help, he prays with passion. When he prays to thank God, he prays with passion. When he prays to worship God, he prays with passion. You know, some of us, when we're praying to, thank God, to ask God for stuff, it's passion. God, help! When you're praying to thank God, it's like, well, you know, you got that, God. That was good, man. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. That was really nice. You know, it's like, it's like where, where is the hell? You know, it's like for David all the time, he was passionate about God, something that sets him apart. No wonder that in Acts 13, it tells us, God testified concerning David. God, have you noticed who's testifying here? God testified. <laughs> When was the last time God testified about you? Listen, God testified concerning David. And he said, I have found David, son of Jesse, 
a man after my own heart, he will do everything that I want him to. David was totally sold out to God, and God knew it. God knew it. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing is that in our culture today, it's okay to be passionate about anything except your faith, except God. People have all kinds of passions. People are passionate about movies. I know some of you who know every movie that has come out in the last five years, plus everybody who acted in it, and you know all the storylines. By the way, I'm not joking. When I, when I need to find a movie to illustrate, there's some people I come to in this church because I know they've watched it. Uh, they are passionate about movies. People here who are passionate about sports. Any sports fans in the house? Oh, yeah. In fact, this service is so full because there's a game in the afternoon. I know. I know. Some of you are here because you want to watch. You're passionate about sports. And it's cool in our, in our culture to be passionate. I can be passionate about politics. And there are some of you, that's what you talk about. In any, con any casual conversation, you start talking politics. You're passionate about politics. It's cool to be fa pas uh, passionate about fashion and about clothes. Any of you passionate about fashion? Oh, yeah. There are some of you who have so many shoes and you don't even wear them. You just like to see them. I mean, you're, pa you're passionate about fashion and being on fashion. Some of us are passionate about music. We're passionate about going to watch concerts. And we love that. Some of us are passionate about cars. Okay, some of you, if God could give you the money you don't have, you know that this is what you, you just have a garage full of cars you'll never drive. Because you're passionate about cars. But it's not politically correct to be passionate about God. And one of the questions I asked myself as we were starting this church, is I said, God, why is this? Why is it? When people go to concerts or political rallies or football matches, why is it okay that, that they shout their heads off? They, they jump up and down. About 20 men, 22 men, 11 men actually, because it's your side you're passionate about, chasing a little ball of leather with air inside. And they are passionate. Why is it okay that when your team wins, you know, when your team scores, grown people hug each other, strangers. And they're, they're kissing each other because their team has scored. They don't even know each other. Why is it okay when your team loses that it's okay for grown men to weep? They cry. I've seen it. Why, why is that fine? And it's not fine to worship God in the same way. Why is it okay for us not to be as passionate about God? Why can we be, how can we so, be so passionate about football and not passionate about the God who has saved us and our families? You know, I was thinking about this and I found a little clip, a little video clip that I just thought was really interesting. Check this out. I need to give you a little context. If you thought Kenyans were crazy about football, this guy is Tanzanian, and Tanzanians are the next level. But this guy is not a player, in case you might think so. He's actually one of the fans. And this story was so amazing because he's one of the, the two big teams in Tanzania that are just there at each other. He's, I think he's a Simba fan. And those guys, I mean, they, they, if your wife, if our wife and husband are of different persuasions, uh, the home is known. That after the game, one doesn't come for the week, depending on who won. I mean, I, I've had true stories that I've been told by Tanzanian friends. And the other thing I know about it is that this same guy, he broke down in the field. He cried. This is actually a seven-minute clip. And Kenyan media heard about it. Uh, K24 sent a crew all the way to Tanzania to interview him about this a couple of weeks later. As they asked him questions, he broke down and began to do exactly the same thing <laughs> two weeks ago. <laughs> Why is that okay? Why is it that when a guy is like this, you're like, man, that's a true fun. You try acting like that in church. What will people say? Fanatic, exactly. They don't use words. They'll say, you're a fanatic. They'll be like, dude, get a life. I, mean, I don't want to sit next to that guy. He's just jumping up and down in worship. I mean, that's not how you do it. And I said, God, how do we, why is it okay that your people don't give you unrestrained worship? You know, when I read the book of, uh, of Mark 12, 30, Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing in life? You know what he said? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. 
In fact, in the message, it says it so well. It says, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. I love that. I love that. Passion. Your, your prayer. Your intelligence. Your energy. Jesus is saying, come on, put something into it. The most important thing in life is not about being religious. It's not about reading Bible or doing. It's, it's, it's that you love God with everything you've got. That you put everything, add some oomph, add some zest, add some jumping up and down into your relationship with God. Love Him with everything you've got. This is the most important thing. I love that. This is what God says. When it comes to loving God, it's all or nothing. You know, I've been married for 18 years. And I have a bit of advice for young husbands in the house today. You know, my wife asks me this question once in a while. Women will ask you this question if they're married to you. Uh, Do you love me? And I want to just tell you, you never say, uh, yeah. Okay, Mark, this is an 18, I've been married 18 years. I've survived this thing and I'm actually thriving in it. So just watch as I tell you, don't do that. All right? The correct answer is, of course I love you. You're so awesome, man. Man, I could do anything for you. I met you 18 years ago. I tell you, now I even love you 20 times more. I mean, if you tell your wife that, life is good. It's not different for God. You know, many times we're like, God, I love you. You know, I love you, God. It's like God, Jesus saying, no, 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 no. It's all or nothing. Put your heart into this. You know, that's why I like hanging out with new believers. You know, new believers, they're so amazing because they haven't, they haven't forgotten what a good deal they've just gotten. New believers are like, you know, when you hang out with them in Mizizi or somewhere else, they'll be like, man, you mean I'm forgiven? All my sins. You know, some of us sins are technical, theoretical ideas. For a new guy, he's thinking, wah, wah, wah. He's thinking of particular sins as he's talking. He's saying, you mean I've been forgiven of that? And he's like, yes. You mean I can have purpose? I, you mean God wants me to be his friend? Wow. They are so excited. By the way, a new believer, when they're talking to their friends in the office, they don't even consider it witnessing. You know, some of us, when we're talking to people about God, it's like we get into witnessing mode. <laughs> Let me tell you about Jesus. You know, no, no, no. When a new believer, he's so excited about what God has done. He's like, you need to come to church with me. You're wasting your life. What's wrong with you? It's not, he just budges people. It, he's, it's so exciting. And you know, the reason for, I like hanging out with new believers is because many times as I've become an older Christian, it's easy for us to get sophisticated about faith. It's easy for us to forget how excited we are about God. It's easy for us to, you know, I, I got this, God. I mean, thank you for helping. I think the rest of the part, I got this part. And it's, I, I know my heart. It's, it's very much like that. It's easy for us to come to church and, you know, you're, you're, like, you're looking at that guy who's jumping around and you're thinking, what's wrong with this guy? You know, like, get your act together. When Pastor Mike says, let's turn around. You know, when you're on, <laughs> you know, you're like, uh, you're like, it's like, I got this, you know, don't bother me with this stuff. Uh, you know what, this, you know, I, I know myself. This is my temptation. This is why I hung around with people who are still excited about what God, I wanted to rub off on me. Because I see this is what was true of David when he was young, when he was old. He was passionate about God. You know, I've come to believe that passion is one of the most important keys to accomplishing your God-given purpose. <laughs> and I think this is the good news in this message. That you know, for David, he was a sinner. So some of you are thinking, I, I, I can't be perfect. And yet we're saying it's not because of his perfection that David made it. Uh, it wasn't because David was so mature. It wasn't because he was such a strong guy. It wasn't any of those things. It was really that he had a heart that just loved God. He was passionate about God. It's a key towards this. It was passion that made Abraham be willing to give up his son, to actually bring his son and kill him because he believed that's what God wanted him to do. I mean, that's crazy. Who does that? But Abraham was passionate to do whatever it took to honor God. It was passion that made Joseph run away from this older, this cougar, this woman who, who, was, who was his boss's wife, who wanted to sleep with him, who had power over him. Joseph said, I don't care if you kill me, I have fear, not of you, of God. Beautiful woman running after you, what do you do? You run away. Men in the church, what do you do? You run away. Why? Because you fear God. Because <laughs> you fear God. And this is Joseph. He was passionate. He did what everybody else wouldn't do. This is what made uh, uh, this, this guy called David to jump in front of Goliath when, uh, oldest, when men who have trained soldiers were was scared. But this shepherd boy did it. Why? Because of his passion for God. It was passion for God that made a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those three young men, to be willing to say no to the most powerful man in the world, even though they could feel the fire that was about to burn them. They said no. 
This is passion that made somebody called Paul, the Apostle Paul, be willing to, to, to go out and preach the gospel across the whole world when nobody else would. And you know something? He preached to people who stoned him. I mean, the Bible says he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was almost burned, he was lashed many times with a whip. But he did it anyway. You know, some of us, if you go and witness to somebody in the office and he slaps you, that's the last time you'll ever witness. It's like, God, it's obviously not your will that I share with anybody. Paul went back. Why is that? Because he was passionate about God. This is true passion. True passion. Passion fuels true courage. True courage is fueled by passion. You know, God is looking for men and women of passion. People after his own heart. People who are totally sold out to him. That's what he's looking for. He's not looking for sophisticated Christians. He's looking for people of passion. How do you develop a heart of passion? How can we develop that? I, I, I see two things in this scripture. The first is develop unconditional repentance. Make that a mark of your life. You see, unconfessed sin is a passion killer. It kills passion. There's some of us who know we've messed in our faith. We've done things that we know have displeased God. But you know, many of us, because of that, we've shut ourselves out from fellowship. We don't talk to other people about it. We've shut ourselves even from God in our prayer life. We only go to a certain place. We've collaborated with the enemy in shutting ourselves out from grace. You know, the thing about this, this need to keep our image, to not share our fallenness, our brokenness, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. Satan is the one who tells you, listen, no, you can't tell people. What will they think about you? What if they reject you if they know this? Because he knows, the Bible says, when we confess our sins to one another, we're healed. He knows that. So he wants you to, to manage your perceptions. I love the fact that David never tried to manage perceptions. So here's the thing. If you fall, you don't have to stay down. Get up again. Tell your neighbor, get up again. Get up again. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 24 verse 16, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Oh, it doesn't say the righteous never fall. You know, your neighbor looks so, so righteous. <laughs> I'm just trying to tell you right now, they have major issues. Sometimes, by the way, I need to say this. Sometimes those issues you think are not major like yours because you're struggling with alcoholism. You don't realize that some of those issues that are acceptable sins, you know, Christians have acceptable sins. Like pride. Mm -hmm. I'm not like those guys, you know. Like, like, like bitterness, unforgiveness. I'll never forgive. I'll never forgive. You know what? I, I don't care what he did. I just will never. You know, there's, there's some things we just consider. These are, these are acceptable. These are acceptable. You know, greed. Greed. You know, I, I, I can't give. I need it for myself. I, you know, hot. let me say this. Some of these actually dishonor and displease God much more than that alcoholism of yours. So stop feeling inferior. <laughs> stop feeling like you're the only one in this church who has issues. The Bible says, even though a righteous man falls, even though you fell off the wagon, rise again. Tell your neighbor, rise again. You never know, you could be doing ministry right now as you speak to somebody who needs to hear it. Rise again. Cling to God. Ask Him for forgiveness. Come talk to one of our pastors. Talk to one of our prayer counselors. We'd love to pray with you. Just come and say, this is what I've done. Don't manage your perceptions. Don't let the devil cut you out of the relationship that belongs to you. And for those of you who've been walking with the Lord a longer time, you're in an even greater place of danger. Because this is a place where you begin to feel, you know, I, I, I got this. I don't struggle. I don't have the issues that those people have. When Jesus came to earth, the people he really had the harshest words were religious leaders. Were the people who thought they had it made. You make it your prayer like David. I love David's prayer. Psalm 86, 11. He says, God, give me an undivided heart that I will walk your ways. He, you know, you need to pray that God will give you an undivided heart. Ask God to search you. Show you where pride has crept in, where coldness of heart has come, where your first love has died, and ask God to restore you to your first love. Help Him to ask Him to bring you to that place of unconditional repentance that you will walk in this way. Second way to nurture our passion and reserved worship. We see it in David as well. You see, the thing I learn about from this passage is that passion is not convenient. David says, you know, Lord, I will not give you something that costs me nothing. In other words, I don't want to give something that is easy. Or something that is too convenient to give. I'll pay whatever price you desire me to pay to please you and to advance your kingdom. You see, passion is not just an emotion. We know of passion as the emotion. But passion is actually a choice. A choice that you will seek God. That you will honor Him. Regardless of whether it's convenient for you. This is something that our convenience-loving society will never teach you. 
Because it's so, so much about what works, what's in it for me. But passionate Christ followers become passionate Christ followers because they made a decision. You know, some of you are naturally extroverted. And it's easy for you to master up the emotion of passion. And somebody might be thinking, I'm not like that. But here's, here's, here's the thing that's so important about passion. Passion isn't a feeling. Passion is a commitment. It's a decision that we can make. You know, when I die, one of the things I want to be said about me by my children is that I was passionate for God. This man loved God unreservedly. Why do I say my children? Because you can fool everybody all the time, but you can never fool your kids. You know that, don't you? You know, I can, I can put on an act for you guys on Sunday that will blow you. You know, you'll be like, wow, holy man of God. Hallelujah. You know, you can say all the things about me that I want you to say, but I can't fool my kids one minute. My kids are the ones who see me in the morning when, I'm, when I haven't gotten my holy man face on. <laughs> They're the ones who see it. They're the ones who see me talking to their mother a certain way. They're the ones who see it. And so I, I pray, God, I want my kids to testify about me <laughs> more than anything else that I loved God unreservedly. That's what I want. I recognize that there's so many things that distract me from that. So many things that keep me from that. So I pray this prayer for myself. I say, God, give me an undivided heart like David. I want to be like David. I want to be a man on fire for you. You see, passion is built by choice. And you must make that choice to fully engage with what God is doing. And I want to say this, for those of you who come to Mavuna Church, one of the ways you can become an unreserved worshiper or you can fuel your passion for God is by plugging into what God is doing. David plugged into what God was doing. You can actually plug in right here at Mavuno. I want to say this, and I don't say this because I'm the pastor. I have worked in different churches, and I know when the, God of, the hand of God is somewhere. God's hand is on this church. There are things happening in this church that are inexplicable. It's not because of me or any of the pastors here. God's hand is here. There's something. I, I, anytime I doubt it, I just go and stand outside and I speak to people who come to visit. I speak to somebody who's just done Mizizi. I go to one of the prisons and speak to one of the prisoners whose life has been changed. And I remember God's hand is here in a way I've never seen it almost anywhere else. And one of the ways you can begin to plug into, to, to, to fuel your fire is by plugging into what God is already doing. So here are a couple of things. We've talked about this in the series. I'm just going to, to, to throw them back at you. We've already gone through all these uh, this month. The first is Bible reading. I challenged you that you would read the Bible every year. And we do that as a church. And I want to just challenge you. Some of you started, you fell off. You got to a book called Leviti, somebody cast some, you know, and it just became hard to read and you gave up. But listen, what we're saying is this is how we align ourselves. This is how we, we, we need to fuel that passion. So if you fell off, don't worry. Don't even kick yourself or feel bad about it. Pick it up again. Start off with today's reading. Don't even worry about what you fell off on. If you've never done this, you can do it. Buy a one-year Bible uh, from a bookstore or uh, I th they might even have some in our bookstore here. Or even go online. There are free apps that will help you do this. They'll give you a Bible reading plan. Olive Tree. We've, we've talked about olivetree.com. We've talked about uversion.com uh, 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 as well. You can go to any one of these and you'll be able to get uh, the, the Bible for, uh, up for free. And just read. You know, let me tell you this. I've committed. I read this word. <laughs> I don't read it because of, of you. I read it because I need it. And this is one of the things that will just fuel your passion for God. So, so let's get back into that as a people who want to do this. By the way, there are times I don't feel like reading the Word. Seriously. I wake up in the morning and it's the last thing I want. But I've just made a commitment and I get out of bed whether I want to or not when my alarm goes. And I go and sit on the table and there are times I've told God, God, I will read this thing even if it means I sleep on it. So there are times I open the Bible and I go... And then it's like 20 minutes, some, some minutes later, because I don't even know what time it is, I wake up. and Wow, God. Wow. I know I wasn't in the Word, but at least I was on it. <laughs> so bless my day, Lord. Uh, give me something that I can read right now before I go. And it's like, Lord, I'm just going to do it. Because I, I, I need it. I want to do it. And I want to I challenge you. You know, you, you need to make a decision to be a person of the Word. Uh, and God will give you the help as you pray and say, God, help me read your Word. God will show you how to enjoy the word. The second thing is to serve. We talked about serving. One of the reasons we're moving to our new campus is to create space for many people to come into the kingdom, like Flavor said in the, in the, in the, in the uh, video we had there. And you know what? This is a place for you to engage. Uh, you need to, uh, I look at the number of children in the area we're going to. We've been doing outreaches. We even had one on, uh, yesterday. Uh, and some of you came because you signed up last week to come to our, to our, our neighborhood en engagement. And we, had, we have hundreds of kids, literally. 
I look at our children in our children's ministry, uh, the people teaching them, and I'm kind of scared for them because they're going to be so inundated with children. I look at the area and the number of people not going to church, and I think, who's going to take those people through Mizizi? Who's going to take them through Ndoa to help them in their marriages? Who's going to help them? Uh, to, who's going to even usher them in as they come? Our people have no capacity. We are outstripped. We need you to plug in. But you know what? I want to t- challenge you and say, don't plug in because Mavuno needs you. Plug in because this is your passion, your act of passion, your commitment towards God. Third thing that I, I read here, uh, or third thing that we've talked about this month is giving. We have an opportunity to give God's work to God's work. And I want to say that there's some here who've challenged my own concept of giving. There's some of you who've not given as much maybe in amount as I have. But when you've shown me what you've given, when you've talked about what you've given, you brought tears to my eyes. There are people who've sold assets or sold things they needed because they said, Lord, I may not have much, but this is what I have. I will give it towards this. And they've challenged me about my own giving, to be a passionate giver, not to give out of convenience or to give what I can afford, but to give out of my love for God, not giving a sacrifice that costs me nothing. And I want to challenge you, uh, because you know, it's easy for the pastor to say this, but I want to challenge you that you would actually, you you pick that, um, many of you, this is our gift Sunday you gave, and I thank everyone who's giving. There's some of you who need to say, God, the gift I've given didn't cost me anything. Or maybe I thought it would cost me when when I pledged. Lord, you've so overblessed me <laughs> that it didn't actually cost anything. And I want you to say to, you, to like David, I will not offer to God something that costs me nothing. There are some of you who've joined the church since we, we pledged and you've never made your pledge. Today's your day. Sign up and say, God, I want to give you. Because the things that happen to you as you give sacrificially are remarkable. The blessing that comes to you is incredible. Now, I want to conclude by saying this, Mavuno. I don't want to ask you to read God's word. <laughs> I don't just want to ask you to read God's Word. I want to read it for myself. Not because I need a sermon for you guys every Sunday. God, give me a sermon for Mavuno. Not because of that. But because I need Him. I realize I need Him. And the, the older I grow, the more real, I realize I have issues. Do you know David didn't love God because he was perfect. He loved God because he had issues. And the, the, the more I spend time with God, the more I realize how many issues I really have. And I love God's Word. I'm reading it. I want to read it and, and to read it even more than you, not because I'm your pastor, but because I love God. I don't just want to ask you to serve at Mavuno Church. I want to serve. Me and my family, we will serve the Lord. I want to serve here with my kids. And my kids already, by the way, they're serving in ministry in this church. I want them to serve not because they're pastor's kids, but because God has blessed us so much as a family, even in giving us each other. That how can we not be a serving family? I teach my kids, we must serve. All of us are servants of God. I want them to love God through their service. I, I don't want to ask you guys to, to just simply uh, live lives of integrity because I talk about integrity from here a lot. But I want, I want to just commit myself as a man, not as a pastor, but as a servant of God that I will live a good life before God in my sexual purity when it comes to finances, when it comes to handling power, the things that trip men my age, I want to live holy before God. Not because I'm a pastor and have a reputation to maintain, but oh my goodness, if you knew how far God has brought me, if only you knew. I want to love God with my life. I want to not just ask you to give. You've heard me talk about giving today. I don't just want you to ask you to give, but I want to say this. Mavuno, I've actually asked God that I'd be one of the biggest givers in Mavuno Church. I want to be among the top 10 of this church. Not just now, but in the future as well. Whenever there's a project, I want my gift and my wife's to be one of the biggest ones here. I never want to ask you to go where I'm not willing to go. Why? (laughs) It's not because I want to be symbolic. It's not because I earn as much as some of you do. It's not because I'm a pastor. Oh my goodness. If you knew what God had done for me. Wow. He's been so awesome. I am so fulfilled in the life I live because he loves me. He's accepted me. He's forgiven my sins. And one of the things my wife and I are praying right now is that we'll have the privilege one day of writing a check for 100 million shillings for ministry. We'll actually do that. That the Lord will bless us so that we can become such a huge blessing. I'm tired of being a recipient. I want to be a donor. I don't know about you. I want to be a donor. I want to bless others. And we've told God, God, bless us so that we can give. And not one day you'll bless us and we'll give then. We're giving now. This is our, our commitment. I want to pray for you, Mavuno, as I conclude. And my prayer is that you will live a life of passion before God. This is good news. 
passion doesn't require you to be an older Christian. Any one of us can make a commitment and say, God, I will choose to live for you with passion. I want to pray for us. And as I do so, I want to pray a very special prayer for those of you who consider Mavuno Church to be your home. Our visitors, we're so glad you're with us and we're so excited that you joined us today. But I'm going to ask you, I'm going to invite you not to, not to respond to this prayer because I want to specifically pray for the people who come to this church but who have also committed and said, this is my vision, this is my church, this is my home. And if you're one of those, I'm going to ask you, you're not, you're not visiting, you're not checking out this church, but you say, this is where God has planted me. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right now. Stand to your feet right now because I want to pray for you as we conclude our service. Bless the Lord for every single one of you. I bless the Lord. I bless the Lord for you. Here's my prayer for you, Mavuno, because that's who you are. Mavuno is not a building. Mavuno is not a place. Mavuno is a people of God that he has called to be part of this family. My prayer for you is that you'll be fully aligned to God. This is my prayer for you. My prayer for you is that you will endure in your love for God. Not a fair-weather Christian who gives up when difficulties come, but you will stand for your faith and glorify Him in this city. My prayer for you, Mavuno, is that you'll be connected. You won't walk alone. Because when you walk alone away from this family, the devil has you. He will trip you up. That God will allow you to have the humility to sign up and to be part of a group that you will walk with. My prayer for you is that you will be humble. Because God will elevate you, Mavuno. He will. I know it. And my prayer is that when He does, and even as He does, that you will walk in humility before Him, even as David did. And lastly, my prayer for you is that you'll be passionate. I pray for you that God would give you such passion for Him that people will say, are you from Avuno Church? And you say, how do you know? And they say, everybody I've met from that congregation is exactly like that. This is my prayer for you. Father, I bless these companions, these mighty men and women, these men and women that you've brought to this place, not by coincidence, you've selected us, handpicked us, and that, Lord, you're raising us up to glorify you in this generation. And, Lord, right now, Lord, my heart is so full of gratitude as I see every one of them. And my prayer is that, Lord, you would overflow in their lives. I pray that, Father God, everything we've talked about this month will be true of them a hundredfold. I pray that, Lord, you would glorify yourself in their lives. And there will be a distinction about them. And they truly would be men and women after your own heart. I bless you, Lord. Thank you so much. Let me invite everybody else to stand to your feet. And I'm going to say a blessing at the end, so visitors, don't worry. I just really felt I needed to say a special blessing over the children of this house, over the people of this home. But I want us to just speak an affirmation at the end of this sermon, uh, service. And this is what we call the fearless creed. Uh, this is something, a prayer we pray for ourselves here at Mavuno Church. If you just put up the, screen on the, uh, the, 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 the creed on the screen, and what we're saying is we're not there yet. We're not perfect. We have issues. We're, not, uh, we're, we're fearful people naturally. But we're declaring these things that are not as if they are. Trusting God to make us the people in this prayer. And every time we say it, we're saying, God, make us closer to what we say in this prayer. Are you ready, Mavuno? Alright, let's say the creed together. I am a fearless influencer. My past is forgiven. My future is secure. My present is not for me, but for the one who set me free. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. No more prayerless living, cheap giving, and selfish dreaming. I am part of the change. I will not hesitate to serve. I will gladly pay the cost, contagiously spreading His love, playing my role on the dream team, the Mavuno family, until all Africa is changed, every sector of society. I align myself to God's purpose. I will be who He calls me to be. I agree to be shaped and molded through His Word and through His family until my will and His will fully agree and I become fully the influencer that I was created to be. Everybody together, I am a fearless influencer. Somebody give glory to God. We bless you, Lord. We worship you. Let me bless you as you go out into the month. Father, I thank you for every single person here. First of all, I want to thank you for our visitors who are here today from different churches different parts of the world. And Lord, we pray that this message that has been spoken, that Lord, it would be so real for them 
That Lord, in the places you've planted them, that Lord, they would take root there and they will be unafraid. Influencers in those places. Father, I thank you for the people in this house, the Mavunites. I thank you for every one of them too. And I pray that together we will be your church and glorify you in our generation. And so now I speak a blessing over you. As you go out into this week, may God distinguish you. May God set you apart. May He make it obvious that you belong to Him. May everybody you encounter see the glow of God in your life. May His passion consume you. May you be a fearless influencer every place your feet lead you. I bless you now in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And God's people say it with a shout, Amen. To God be the glory. Give your neighbor